This is Law for Community Workers On The Go, a podcast for community and health workers. In today's episode, Joshua Scotland from the Community Legal Education Branch speaks to two solicitors from Legal Aid New South Wales Civil Law Service for Aboriginal Communities, Teela Reid and Marinda Dutton. Teela and Marinda talk about the Stolen Generations Reparations Scheme and other options members of the Stolen Generations may have to get compensation. They also explore other legal issues that can come up and talk about the importance of giving trauma-informed legal advice. We will also hear excerpts from a video produced by Legal Aid New South Wales in which staff share their experiences of the stolen generations and acknowledge the profound resilience and strength of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. So thanks for having me uh, on the podcast, Josh. we're airing this from Dubbo, Wurundjeri country. It's really great to be back. We've just had a week out here um, on country. It's my country, so it's awesome to be recording this from Wurundjeri country. This podcast was recorded on both Wurundjeri and Gadigal land, and we would like to acknowledge the traditional owners and pay our respects to their elders past and present. We would also like to extend that respect to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people and in particular any members of the Stolen Generations who may be listening. It's important to acknowledge that there are very few Aboriginal people who haven't been in some way affected by the Stolen Generations and all the trauma that the practices of removal of Aboriginal children from their families has had on Aboriginal communities and people even generations later and I think in that context it's important to acknowledge that this episode might be bring up a lot of things it might be triggering and it might be difficult to listen to and in that context it's really just important to take care of yourself some options could be to contact the local Aboriginal medical service link up or to just speak to a family member or a friend that can help and support you. I'm from Grafton. I'm a lawyer in the Civil Law Service for Aboriginal Communities. So within my family, on both sides, there's a history of experiences with the stolen generation. My dad was taken as a baby when he was six months old and the Aboriginal Welfare Board tried to get his mother to consent to having him adopted out and she refused but he was adopted out anyway without her consent. He did return home to Wilkenya and meet some of his family when he turned 18. Uh, But by the time he was able to get back there, his dad had already passed away. He didn't have that experience growing up with his family and so you kind of spend the rest of your life playing catch-up. And then on my mum's side, I have great aunties and uncles who were taken and actually the family never saw them again. They were actually got sent to America with a family, so we don't know what happened to them at all. First, Tila, can I ask you to explain a little bit about the history of Aboriginal people being removed in New South Wales? Under the Aborigines Protection Act, 
that existed between 1909 and 1969, the Aborigines Protection Board and its successor, the Aborigines Welfare Board, had wide-ranging control over the lives of Aboriginal people. So during that period of time, Aboriginal children were removed from their families and then placed into care. The removal of Aboriginal children in New South Wales occurred firstly under the policy of protection and then from 1937 under an official policy of assimilation. The policy aimed to integrate Aboriginal people into the wider population and what we're finding, although the scheme is limited to the Aborigines Protection Act, there are um, a lot of Aboriginal people who were also removed under the Child Welfare Department. It means a lot of the stolen generations are falling outside the scheme. Both the AWB and the CWB or D um, had the same objective and that was essentially to remove children, to protect children and to assimilate Aboriginal children. In 1997, there was a report produced called Bringing Them Home Report, with a number of recommendations put into that report. One of the recommendations was for the establishment of stolen generations reparations. However, it wasn't until 2016 that New South Wales formed the General Purpose Standing Committee, which released its report called Unfinished Business, that in this jurisdiction, recommended the New South Wales government establish a reparation scheme for stolen generation survivors. The government announced in response to the unfinished business report that it would establish a stolen generations reparation scheme to provide payments, but only for those survivors that could prove or were um, on the record removed by the Aborigines Protection Board or the Aborigines Welfare Board. So I'm a Burke girl. I'm in the middle of 13 kids. My dad's name is Bertie Bates and his two brothers are Wilkie and Hector Bates. So they're Bark and G Willie Carly boys from Mulkenya Whitecliffs area. So their parents had died and um, the police came and picked them up after their mother died in Broken Hill, uh, got them and, uh, yeah, just, sorry, I just lost my experience. I'm right now. After their mother died, their extended family came over from Wakenya on a horse and buggy to pick them up, take the boys to Wakenya. And apparently the police came along in a big black car and uh, took the three boys off the back of the um, wagon. So yeah, and then they were put on the train. I don't even think the boys even seen a train before and they were taken to Kinchula and that just totally destroyed it. They were separated. I don't even, my mind doesn't even want to go to Kinchula to think what happened to them there. So they separated after that. Well, my dad became a stockman, so did uh, Uncle Hector. And our other uncle, Wilkie, he died in Dirabandi in Queensland. I never got to see him. So those three boys, even after they left Kinchula, they never ever formed their family unit again. Just totally destroyed them. 
So, Tila, can I get you to explain what the Stolen Generations Reparation Scheme actually is? So, the New South Wales Stolen Generation Reparation Scheme is an ex gratia payment, essentially, of $75,000 to Stolen Generation survivors who were removed from their families and, and committed to the care of the New South Wales Aborigines Protection or Welfare Boards. It was established on the 1st of July 2017. The scheme goes for five years, so it will end on the 30th of June 2022. So an ex gratia payment is essentially a one-off payment that is in recognition of the act of the removal. It's separate to any compensation that an individual may be eligible for. The compensation that people are being provided is a $75,000 payment as well as an apology if the person wishes and also a $7,000 payment towards a funeral which the person can decide to receive while they're alive or they can nominate a person to receive that money when they pass away. The client basically get the total of 82000 And this is really, in terms of what the Stolen Generations have experienced and gone through, is not a lot of money at all. The re-trauma that a lot of our clients are going through, retelling their story, but also a lot of the clients who were removed, you know, on the basis that they were Aboriginal, but removed, now applying for the scheme, but refused because their file shows they were removed under the Child Welfare Department, is causing a lot of re-traumatisation. A lot of clients don't even want the money. They just want the acknowledgement that they were removed and, are, and the recognition that they were part of the stolen generation. So even for those clients who just simply wanted the acknowledgement from the New South Wales government that they were stolen, are experiencing a lot of re-traumatisation. One of the biggest challenges we've seen in helping people try and get reparations is that uh, the eligibility criteria that sets up the scheme sets out that only certain members of the stolen generation are eligible. So the people who are eligible are those who have been removed by or put into the care of the Aborigines Welfare Board before the 20th of March 1969 and the applicant needs to be alive. And so in practice, what we have seen is that there are a significant number of people who weren't removed by or put into the care of the Aborigines Welfare Board. They were actually removed by the the Child Welfare Department, which is the present day FACS or DOCS. Um, And so for those people who were moved under the Child Welfare Department, often you see things in the documents that indicate that those removals were actually done with an assimilationist or a racist intent. And we have been able to advocate that those people should also be eligible for the scheme, depending on the situation. So I think one of the most important things for people to know is that because it is a five-year scheme, it's really important that if you're supporting somebody who might be eligible for a payment, that they put their application in as soon as possible. And this might be something that community workers can assist with. The other important thing to be aware of is that there are a significant number of people who have been refused from the scheme and legal aid and other 
legal services in the community assistance sector have been doing work around appealing those decisions. And if you are supporting somebody who has been refused or who isn't sure about whether or not they're eligible for the scheme, then you should refer them to a local legal service for advice. If you're wanting to get advice about whether you're eligible or somebody you're supporting is eligible, you could contact Legal Aid Civil Law Service for Aboriginal Communities on 1800 793 017. Tila, can you talk us through what happens when somebody applies to the scheme? The Department of Aboriginal Affairs has an independent assessor who looks at each application. The independent assessor reviews the records of the client who has made the application and assesses the evidence in relation to the application. If they are satisfied with the application um, and that someone is eligible, they will provide the minister with a summary of the information that's available to them, make a recommendation to the minister as to whether or not a payment should be made pursuant to the scheme, give reasons to the minister and also uh, provide a draft personal apology to the minister with respect to the granting of a reparation under the scheme. If they're not eligible, they will get a letter of refusal. However, an opportunity they'll also be given an opportunity to present any new information that might assist in a review of a decision. However, there is an overarching principle that the independent assessor could make a recommendation to the minister for someone to be eligible, although they fall outside the scheme, if it's in the interest of justice. And where necessary, we would be making those arguments. For example, if someone was removed before 1969, not necessarily under the Aborigines Welfare Act, but if they were removed, for example, under the Child's Welfare Department and there was communication between both departments, that would be circumstances where we would make a strong argument that it would be within the interests of justice. I guess I can just say that generally speaking, we have been able to assist a number of people who were removed by the Child Welfare Department who were refused from the scheme and through obtaining their documents and putting submissions to Aboriginal Affairs able to reverse that decision so that those people were able to get payments um, who had previously been refused. So although the application process is relatively simple, we are advising people to get legal advice and assistance as they go through the process. Here, Tiller and Marinda will explain some of the work that they do to help ensure their clients get the best possible outcome. We want to emphasise that our lawyers are very conscious about providing assistance in a trauma-informed way. So if a client comes to us and they haven't already applied for the scheme, we assist them in completing the application for the scheme, which is actually it's quite straightforward. It's not a long application. And then at the same time, we get the client's authority to access their fax file, the file the department keeps on them during the period of time that the child was removed. So accessing that file is, is also really important because if the client is found to be 
ineligible for the scheme, they simply just get a letter from the New South Wales Department of Aboriginal Affairs indicating they're not eligible. However, it's really important that we also access that file so a lawyer can go through it with a fine tooth comb essentially to see if there is any way that we can make an argument that a client should be eligible or if there's something in the file that the department has missed. It's just really important. I've obviously had clients come to me who have applied themselves and then been refused from the scheme without a lawyer looking at the file. So I encourage anyone who has applied and done that themselves to see a lawyer for advice, particularly if they haven't accessed their file, which has a lot of the legal documents in it, the orders from the court at the time they were removed, a record or a diary from the department that shows at what date they were removed, what home they were put into. So I encourage anyone who is making the application or who has done it themselves to come and see Legal Aid New South Wales so we can assist them. A lot of what I do is about giving control back to the client and giving them all the options. That might be around deciding when when you do get documents about giving them the option of how they want to receive those documents because a lot of the time what what is contained in the contemporaneous evidence is very traumatic and very sometimes very disturbing. There's sometimes uh, racially inflammatory comments written in the documents and so, and that can be further triggering for members of the stolen generation. It can be triggering for people supporting those clients as well. Uh, And so I think one of the things that I try to do as much as possible is provide my clients with uh, the options and let them decide how they would like to receive legal services. So the initial phase doesn't necessarily require the, the client to retell their story in full. It simply requires them to tell us their details and, and you know, the places that they can re- recall them being removed to. There, there is support available uh, for the client particularly at Legal Aid, we have social workers. I offer my clients that support, which generally, actually, a lot of the clients don't really take that option. They would rather a family member come in with them or they would simply rather be able to sit down with their file alone before they come to see a lawyer. I've found a lot of my clients are quite comfortable just having a yarn with me about their story and and to mitigate any you know re-trauma I really just aim for them to really just tell their story once. My name's Lynn Larkins I'm a solicitor in the classic team I'm also a very proud and strong Wadi Wadi woman from the Rec Bay community on the south coast. My mum is um, her name is Patsy Carriage and she's a Stolen Generation member. She was removed from Rec Bay as a 16-year-old, taken away from her family and her community, and um, taken to Sydney, where she basically worked as a slave in a domestic for a wealthy family at Bullclues. And she, she cleaned, she looked after their children, she worked for them in their shop. Um, she did all the cooking, serving of the food, and they lent her out to their family 
uh, for dinner parties and things like that. She was basically a, a domestic slave for them. She had no choice in the matter. She didn't want to go. She cried. She didn't like to talk about it, Mum. She'd always get upset and cry when I asked her questions. So I never ever asked her whether she was um, subjected to domestic violence or sexual abuse because I couldn't bring myself to ask that question. But um, it had a huge impact on her life. She found it very hard to love and trust people, basically. It affected her whole life. One thing that we wanted to make very clear is that the Stolen Generations Reparations Scheme is only giving reparations for the act of removal. There are a lot of people who are members of the Stolen Generation who then also suffered significant harm and trauma when they were either in the homes or they were in foster care. And, you know, you hear a lot of stories about people who were abused and those people potentially have other claims uh, in relation to those abuses. If you're supporting somebody or somebody that you see has experienced abuse uh, after they've been removed, then they should get legal advice. Uh, but legal aid isn't funded to do personal injury work and so um, mostly we've been seeking the support of private law firms who are involved in those kinds of personal injury claims. Uh, in instances where people have been sexually abused while in care, we've been referring those people to know more who are able to provide legal advice to those people. So it's a personal injury claim. In terms of the process, that's conducted by a private law firm and they are able to assess and give the client proper advice on what amount of money that they may be entitled to. In terms of my role in that, it's simply about ensuring that the client feels safe and that their story is culturally respected and that it's confidential, that what they tell us does not go any further than the lawyer or lawyers that they've involved or the people that they wish to tell their story to. So a big part of our role at Legal Aid is to take the statement from the client. And this can be quite a long process, you know, getting to the point of, of allowing the client to feel at ease and comfortable to sit down with a lawyer and retell all the trauma that they've been through. But one of the thing that, things that's been really important and, and I've been very conscious of both as an Aboriginal woman and a lawyer is making sure that um, the client feels safe when they're sitting down with me. And this can be, you know, this can be almost a day process. Mm. Yeah. It's not something that is done in an hour or two or even, you know, on one day. So when I give my client the option of if they do want to pursue the compensation path for the injury they've caused, so we provide them just with some questions before they come in so that they're prepared on what kinds of things we will ask them. Many members of the Stolen Generations will have a number of different legal issues. We will now hear from Marinda, Teela and Janine. When, when Stolen Generations clients are either referred or come to us, we do a law check for a number of other issues as well. Some of the most important things that we look for, particularly with Stolen Generations clients, is whether or not they have a will 
or or if they'd planned to to have a will, particularly if the, if they are eligible and are, are going to get up to eighty two thousand dollars, um, that's one issue. If they have any other debts prior to accessing the scheme, that's also important. So we look at what their debts are already, and if they owe any money, uh, we have a financial counselor in our team who's able to to assist, you know, where there are other debts um, with hardship applications. So that's also an important aspect to resolve before the client accesses or receives the $82,000. So Department of Social Services and and the ATO have determined that payments to stolen generation survivors through the scheme are not taxed and shouldn't affect any pensions or Centrelink payments. If they also receive a payment, it doesn't necessarily affect their actual Centrelink payment, but it's important if our clients do receive the money that they seek further advice because the money may become an asset and and therefore it's important to, to get further advice. If you are giving gifts to family, then you probably need to get legal advice uh, if they're on Centrelink because that may impact on the person who you're gifting the money to on their pension or Centrelink payments. My mob is from Kempsey. I'm a Dungaddy woman. I'm actually a financial counsellor and it's the first time that Legal Aid has employed a financial counsellor in this sector. Well, I had one particular client, um, he, he got to 75000 and I rang him and he was out in remote area and I said, oh, what do you want to do with the, the money? You know, I said, it's a lot of money, you know. And he said, um, well, I've got a few bills uh, to pay. And I said, oh, yeah, that's okay. Because I didn't want to stipulate to him how to actually spend his money. And I said, so what else are you going to spend it on? He said, um, I said, what about your mob? And he said, well, I'll spend a little bit on them, but I'm only going to give them a little bit of money. And I said, well, where are you living at the moment? And he was um, renting with someone. And he said, he said, you know what? He said, I might buy a little house out in on the, the riverbank. He said, and do a lot of fishing. I said, well, that'd be a good idea. I said, um, have you got one particular area? He said, yeah, I've got all of that in there. And so he was one of the clients that, you know, knew where he wanted to spend the money and what that money felt for him. because. You know, he'd been traumatised for so many years. Now he wanted to live out his life on the riverbank fishing in a little hut. So that was good. It was excellent. We found it to be quite a challenging project to work on getting the word out about the Stolen Generations Reparation Scheme because we know that by letting people find out about this that it that it often is quite traumatic for them and it can bring back a lot of really difficult memories. And we are constantly balancing that potential trauma or triggering with the trauma of people not knowing about the scheme and not applying and finding out after the scheme has ended. And that's something that we're quite concerned about. And that's why we continue to try to help get the word out. And we would like everybody that listens to this podcast to help us get the word out in an appropriate way to any members of the Stolen Generations that they may know. I did just want to finish by saying that I'm incredibly honoured and privileged to work with my colleagues Marinda and Teela and Lynn, Janine and Maureen. Uh, Thank you so much for sharing your stories as well. 
And to finish off, let's hear a final word from Marinda with some advice for community workers. What I have noticed from working with members of the Stolen Generation is that a lot of people are extremely vulnerable and often when they speak to me about their experiences and about their identity as being members of the Stolen Generation, often I'm the only person they have ever disclosed that information to and it can be helpful for that person to then have somebody who is able to advocate on their behalf. Particularly, I think, when the agency providing the reparations payment and who is administering the scheme is a government agency and that comes with a whole a whole history for members of the Stolen Generation. You know, it was a government agencies who stole children from Aboriginal people and it is now a government agency who is deciding whether or not Aboriginal people who are removed are eligible for compensation for that. And so to have a lawyer as a go-between can take some of the trauma associated with that dynamic out of the situation. Thanks for tuning in today. As Marinda mentioned at the beginning, if this episode has been at all triggering for you, please reach out to link up your local AMS or talk to a family member or friend. If you have any feedback or comments about today's episode, please get in touch. We would love to hear from you. Our contact details are in the episode notes below. So until next time, thanks so much from all of us here at the Community Legal Education Branch at Legal Aid New South Wales.